this morning we're looking at the um, we're looking at the uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit today. The gifts of the Holy Spirit as we continue our series on the Holy Spirit. We have uh, just two more weeks, I believe, uh, in this series, uh, and then. We will have, uh, just a heads up, we're going to have a uh, disciple, uh, disciplers uh, training um, uh, lesson for our equipping hour, uh, November, I think the second, second or third week of November. I'll be sending out notices to you that are discipling uh, others in the church or desire to. Uh, but we have, I think, just a couple more lessons here, and then we'll be moving on to our next topic. Uh, but this morning, we're looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and uh, the topic of the Holy, uh, excuse me, the spiritual gifts um, have been really a source of much confusion and even frustration for Christians at times. So I hope uh, this morning to help you understand the the doctrine of spiritual gifts, as well as uh, help you practically understand the role of spiritual gifts uh, in your life today. So let me pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, uh, that you would, in your grace, open up your word to us, illuminate by your Holy Spirit. Father, uh, show us the glory of Christ even as we study the Spirit uh, help us to understand uh, these gifts that you have given us through the Spirit. Lord, we want to uh, use these uh, divine enablements from you uh, to exalt Christ, to uh, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness in this world, uh, to, to uh, invest into the church, Lord, with our efforts Lord, uh, these, are, these gifts are not gifts for us to just hoard for ourselves, but for us to share with others. So I pray, Lord, that you would give us that mindset and uh, help us this morning to understand these things with greater clarity. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So as we think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the, the first thing to understand is uh, that uh, the gifts are given in the context of the church. So we want to understand gifts in the church. Number one on your notes, understanding gifts in the church. So, our gifts have been given to us for their use and their operation through you to the church. Uh, for the sake of the church, for the sake of the kingdom of Christ, you have been endowed with a divine spiritual gifts. And we're going to be looking at the details of what those are and how to think through what your gifting is, but uh, we have to lay the groundwork first, of course. So the first thing that we see when it comes to gifts being given to the church is that there is a diversity of spiritual gifts. There's a diversity of spiritual gifts. There are many different kinds of gifts. And I would argue and agree with uh, other theologians that it's, it's very likely that the list that we see in Scripture of spiritual gifts 
are not exhaustive. And it's not so much that you have just one gift and all the other things uh, that, that are in these lists, all the other gifts are just not things that you are good at or they're just not present in your life. Rather, we should understand spiritual gifts as uh, almost a kind of spiritual uh, fingerprint of every Christian. Every person has their own unique fingerprint, and so also every Christian has their own unique spiritual gift. Uh, there will be a, a specific blending and mixture of gifts for each person, particular strengths that you have that others don't. So there is a diversity of spiritual gifts. Now we get this from uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27 to 31. It says, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. And he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all translate? But you earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will yet show you a more excellent way. Paul's point here in 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 31, is that there is diversity of spiritual gifts, not uniformity. And in fact, diversity is what's needed in the ministry of the church, not uniformity. Teachers, teachers are needed for the health of the church, as well as those gifted to help with physical and spiritual needs of others, along with those gifted in administrations. Uh, it would not be good or healthy or helpful for us all to have the same gift. If we all were gifted with uh, evangelism. That would be wonderful for the preaching of the gospel. But once people come to the kingdom, come to saving faith in Christ, uh, how would they grow? And how would we function as a church? If we were all gifted uh, only for evangelism. Uh, if all were preachers, who would go out and, and evangelize? Who would care for the physical and practical needs of the church, if all were uh, preachers and teachers, uh, we are not there, just so. So it is in the human body. You have uh, two eyes, a nose, a mouth, two ears, uh, two hands, and so forth. You're not just one big nose or one big foot or whatever else. We have all these different members for all different purposes. And all of the members of the body are required for there to be a healthy body. So the diversity of, of gifts is essential to the church. It's something to be uh, rejoiced over and appreciated. Uh, it's okay that other people don't have the same burden that you do. I think that's one way to apply this. It's okay and expected that other people in your church don't have the same burden that you do. Uh, 
There's a reason you have your burden. It's so that you use that because you're probably gifted in that area and God wants to use you for that. And so that's fine. That's okay. Don't be upset with others because they don't have your burden. Uh, this is because of the source of spiritual gifts. Uh, secondly, uh, under point one, the source of spiritual gifts is the Holy Spirit. The source of the gifts is the Spirit. And that's why they're called gifts of the Holy Spirit or spiritual gifts. It's, it's not just uh, gifts that are spiritual, right? It's spiritual gifts in, in that they, are, they find their origin in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. And that's the idea. Uh, we get this from 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, earlier on in the chapter, you'll notice that a lot of our references this morning are going to be from 1 Corinthians 12. And we're not going to go through it exegetically. I did that a few years ago when we went through 1 Corinthians together as a church. You can refer back to that if you want. Uh, but we're just pulling out these truths in a systematic way. Now, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 to 7, says there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And there are varieties of workings, but the same God who works everything in every one. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what is profitable. I want to hone in on this verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now, if you look at the other verses, varieties of ministries and the same Lord, that's speaking of Christ, and then, and then verse 6, varieties of workings, but the same God, that's God the Father. So you have the Trinity in, in operation here. God the Father uh, 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 dictating and uh, providing the working or the effect of our ministry. Christ, our Lord, uh, providing the ministries themselves, placing men and women into various ministries. And then, of course, what we're looking at, the Holy Spirit is the source of the gifts. So there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. The word here for gifts comes from the Greek <clears throat> charismaton, and that's where we get the, uh, the, the name for the charismatic church. And their emphasis on spiritual gifts, it comes from this word. Now, charismaton, this word, comes from charis, the Greek word charis, which is grace. And these gifts of the Spirit are gifts of grace. They're gifts of grace, meaning you don't deserve them, you're not owed them. So whatever gift you have, is the, is the kindness, the grace of God to you. And so if you get a more public gift than another or a less public gift than another, it doesn't mean you're better or less important than others in the church. And that's what the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, Right? Uh, each gift each, and each member with their gift is essential, and it's a grace of God. It is truly a gift of grace, not only to you, but to the church as well. And so, 
It is God's grace that he gives us all our spiritual gifts so that he might use us in the church. And even though not all the gifts are the same, all gifts come from the same source, the Holy Spirit. He distributes them to each believer. And so, of course, again, that means that you don't choose your gift. He gives it to you. You don't get to um, have an influence on that. Your task is merely to use it and um, um, appropriate it uh, in your life. Now, as I mentioned in verse 5, Christ is the one who also places you in ministry. So the Spirit gives you a divine enablement. And with that gift, with that enablement, Christ then, uh, he takes you and he places you in a ministry. And he is our ruler. He's our king. He's the head of the church, right? And so the head of the church is the one who decides where men and women are to minister. So wherever you are serving, Christ has placed you there. And if he's placed you in a local church, then he has placed you there in order to serve in that local church. And that means, dear, dear saint, that he has a, a special place for you, a special way for you to be used in your church. And so that means then you're not a mistake, right? And your placement in this church is not a mistake. You are needed. Now, verse 6 says, not only has the Spirit given you the gift, and then Christ placed you with that gift into ministry, now we see that the Father, the Father, God our Father, uh, is the source of the, a variety of workings. Or another way of translating this is effects. The Father is, is the source of the power or the effect of your service. He is the cause of whatever change or impact is the result of your ministry. The Father is the one who makes you useful. He is the source of any good that comes out of your ministry. And that's a relief because that means then you're not the source, right? With all of your flaws and all of, all of our, our shortcomings and limitations, that doesn't matter. Because the source of the power and the effect of your ministry is God the Father. He decides how much fruit you'll have. And the Spirit has given you a gift to be used in the hands of God. And then verse 7 says, each one, uh, But each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what is profitable. So the Spirit is in you, Christian. And he wants to manifest or, or shine through you for the good, for the profit of others. He wants to operate through you as a blessing to the saints and to the lost. And that means the manifestation there and profitable. Uh, that, those are words that tell us that these gifts are to be used in public, right? They're to be used in the context of the church, your gift is not given to you to be used in isolation. Even somebody who has a teaching gift or something like that, or a gift of faith, it's not just for you. It's for you to use in the context of a local church and to be 
operating and working and serving in a church. And he wants to use you, and he intends to use you, uh, for what is profitable. He wants you to be useful, Christian. So there is no useless Christian in a church. Praise the Lord. He wants to use each one of us. The church uh, should benefit from the fact that you're part of the church, right? So here at Redeemer Bible Church, if you're a member or if you're serving uh, here, if you're a believer, we should be better because you're here. We should uh, profit from you in some way. Now, uh, thirdly, when we think about uh, the, the gifts in the church, is the necessity of spiritual gifts. We need these, right? We need to have, uh, we need to have gifts. We, we must understand our gifts. We must employ our gifts. So this, the, gift of the, Holy, the gifting of the Holy Spirit is a necessity for you to be useful in the kingdom. It is a necessity for you to understand what that gift is. And it's a necessity in the church. The church needs your gift. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So every Christian here, every Christian has a spiritual gift. Why? Because every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him, right? So each one, whether you've been saved for uh, uh, 10 days or 10 years or decades, each Christian has a spiritual gift and is profitable for the kingdom. You're useful, Christian. You individually, you personally have received a, a grace gift from God. And these gifts are to be used to serve one another, employ it in serving one another. So again, if you don't employ it, then we don't experience that gifting of yours. It's, it's imperative that you employ your gift just just get serving if you don't know what it is it's not an excuse for you to not serve in fact the way that you know and figure out and get an idea of what your gift is is by serving there's no other way to figure that out but by serving and so what's wonderful here is this gift is something that you steward, right? You've received a gift, and you are now stewards of the manifold grace of God. Remember, gift comes from the word grace, right? It comes from that word. So he's saying you've received the gift, this grace gift of God, this charismaton, and so employ it in serving one another because you're a steward of the charismaton, of the charis, of the grace of God. And so it's, it's, it is of necessity that you, with your spiritual gift, employ it 
in serving one another. Now, we, we need to make sure and get to understanding the different gifts. Our second point, we're going to spend most of our time here this morning understanding the different gifts. Now, we're going to go through some lists, and uh, it's going to be very kind of uh, classroom-ish for a bit here, but uh, that, that's why we're teaching this in equipping hour. This is more of a classroom setting. But uh, here's, here's a, a chart of the different uh, uh, spiritual gifts. You can see that uh, there are, I hope you can read it. If you can't, that's, that's okay. Um, if you would like this uh, in a PDF form, I can give that to you later on. Just let me know. But you can see here that uh, there are uh, five main passages for spiritual gifts in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, and then later on in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 28, and then in Ephesians 4, verse 11, and lastly in 1 Peter 4, verse 10 and 11. Uh, the, the, the main passage is in 1 Corinthians 12, where we have the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, uh, tongues, and then interpretation of tongues. And then later on in the same passage, where there's a little bit of overlap with healing, miracles, and tongues, but it goes on to give more as, for example, helps and administration, the gift of apostle or prophet and teacher. And then in Romans 12, we see uh, the gifts of uh, prophecy and service and giving and mercy and teaching and exhortation. There's a little bit of overlap there with the other passages. And then in uh, Ephesians 4.11, there's more uh, gifting towards uh, uh, specific roles in the church, like apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist. And then in 1 Peter 4, verse 10 and 11, you have just two listed. And I, and I would argue that the two listed in 1 Peter 4, verse 10 and 11, service and speaking, are the two main classifications of gifting. All right? So... Those are the, the, the main passages. Now, I want to read them, and then we're going to get into the, the different types of gifts. All right? I just want to read them out front because I don't want to go back and read the same verses over and over again. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 10, it says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge uh, to the same Spirit, uh, to someone else, faith by the same Spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. So you can see the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, uh, faith, uh, healing. And verse 10, to another, workings of miracles. And to another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing of spirits. To someone else, uh, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the translation of tongues. All right, so there, there's uh, quite a list there in 1 Corinthians 12. And then later on in verse 28, there's some more. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Again, an, another list. And then Romans 12, verse 6 through 8. 
says, but having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Again, you see that language of gift and grace, whether prophecy in agreement with the faith or service in his serving or he who teaches in his teaching. Verse 8, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with generosity, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So an even more extensive list there. Then in uh, Ephesians 4, verse 11, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. I take pastor and teacher to be uh, one uh, kind of package gift, if you will. Now, uh, what we see in these passages is a mixture of two different kinds of gifts, two broad classifications, temporary gifts and permanent gifts. Temporary gifts and permanent gifts. So we want to look first at temporary gifts. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. I want to kind of plow through this because I, I want to get to the permanent gifts, which are the ones that the church is given today. So when we talk about temporary gifts, what we're saying is that um, we believe in cessationism. Cessationism. Um, if I can try and spell that. We believe that, uh, there, that the, these miraculous gifts, there are a classification of miraculous gifts in the early New Testament church that have ceased to exist today. That's what cessationism means. And they have ceased. They have stopped. It's just a fancier word of saying, well, there is no word for stopism. Uh, so cessationism will have to do. So I want to give a defense for cessationism. Uh, first of all, the temporary gifts, the miraculous gifts, and we'll outline what exactly those are. Uh, well, let me just, just mention them really quickly. The gift of apostleship, of healing, miracles, prophecy, utterance of knowledge, utterance of wisdom, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Those gifts, and you have the list there in front of you, those gifts uh, are no longer needed. There is no, no need for prophecy or for the miraculous gifts in the church of Christ today. Uh, the apostles and the prophets have laid a foundation uh, for us already. Now you can jot down Ephesians chapter 2, verse uh, 20. The apostles have already laid a foundation for, for the church, all who would follow God in Christ. The household of God, which is built on that foundation of the apostles and prophets, Ephesians 2, 20, in the household of God no longer needs another secondary foundation. That foundation has already been laid. There's no longer a need for more apostolic teaching or prophecies or revelation. 
it's clear in the New Testament that these miraculous gifts are tied, tethered to revelation or prophecy. And so since there is no more revelation given, there is no more need for these gifts that are tethered to the revelation. Now, how do we know that uh, these gifts were tethered or tied to, to Revelation? Uh, passages like Hebrews 2, verse 3 and 4 says, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? That salvation first spoken of, first spoken by the Lord, which was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. Now here he's talking about these miraculous gifts, signs, wonders, various miracles, gifts by the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Those are the miraculous gifts. Now why are they there? Well, the, it says here in verse 4, God also testifying with them by signs and wonders and gifts. So, let's take this apart. God is the one who is testifying, right? God is testifying. Now, he is testifying uh, with them. And the them is those who heard. So God, the Father, is testifying with those who heard. Who's uh, those who heard? It is those who heard the Lord. They heard Christ. So what he's saying is, there is this message, this message of salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was first spoken by Christ. And then it was confirmed by a second party. That's the apostles. The apostles of Christ confirmed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was confirmed to us, to the church, to the New Testament church. So you have Christ with the gospel, uh, the first to proclaim it uh, to the world. And then you have him giving that gospel to the apostles to confirm that message. How did they confirm it? What's the strongest uh, confirmation of anything? Well, it's the stamp of approval. It's the, it's the witness of God himself, right? And that is exactly what God did. God testified with them. With who? The apostles. God testified with the apostles how did he testify the validity of the gospel of Jesus Christ? By signs and wonders and miraculous spiritual gifts. This important word is, this word is so important. God testified by the gifts. So the purpose of these miraculous gifts were to prove or to testify from God that this New covenant message, this gospel of Jesus Christ, was indeed of God. 
They were the signature, the, the notarized stamp at the bottom of the message of the gospel. That divine notarization, the divine validation of the gospel of Jesus Christ was the miraculous gifts. Do you see that? Now, uh, once, the, once the apostles gave us this new revelation, gave us this gospel fully explained from, you could say, the Matthew to Revelation, once that whole body of work was given, then there was a finality to it. This, this comes across in Jude 3, where it says, Behold, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write you, exhorting you that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. So what he's saying here is there is the faith that is the body of truth of the New Testament, the apostolic teaching is the faith that comes from God through Christ. That faith, that body of apostolic teaching, the New Testament, was once for all handed down to the saints. That's so important. Once for all. There's, that's finality. That means that it, the, the faith was handed down to the church, to the saints, and there's no more, uh, there's no additional parts of the faith that is yet to be handed down. That means that today, God is not giving fresh revelation. He's not handing down any more uh, truths that are part of the faith. There's no more truth to be given because it has all been given in the Bible. And so, if there is no more new revelation, then why would there be any more need to testify of new revelation? You see, there's no more revelation, new revelation coming. And so, the testifying that is tied to new revelation would be non-existent. It's not that God can't do these miracles is not that God doesn't, uh, isn't able to. It's because uh, there is no more revelation to be given, and so there is no need for them. There's no need for them. And uh, this is also evidenced by Second uh, Corinthians 12, 12. We see this uh, same wording come across. Notice, the signs of a true apostle were worked out among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. So these signs, wonders, and miracles, the gifts of healing and prophecy and, and, and all these powerful things that were marks, uh, marks of the early church apostolic ministry, these are the signs of a true apostle, not of your average Christian but of the apostolic ministry. So these gifts served a very temporary and foundational purpose. 
the temporary gifts related to the initial foundational period of the church in connection with the unique apostolic ministry. Those are the temporary gifts. Now, let's, let's go through them. Uh, first, apostle. This, this needs to be at the head of the list to understand the rest. The gift of apostleship is, is uh, found in, well, the verses that we've already read, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, Ephesians 4, 11. This is the gift of men directly commissioned by the risen Christ and sent out to found and establish the church. There is no possibility for there to be a, an apostle today. It's impossible. Because the church does not need to be founded again. No revelation needs to be given again. No foundational revelation needs to be given again. And Christ has already risen and ascended to the right hand of God the Father on high. And so, he, and so there is no man on earth that has met Jesus face to face and has been personally commissioned by him. That's what an apostle is. And you might say, well, what about Paul? He, he was met physically and personally by Christ after he was resurrected. And so even Paul was commissioned personally by Christ. So this uh, gift of apostleship uh, was a temporary gift, a temporary role in the, in the New Testament church. So also the rest. For example, the gift of healing, which was the ability with a word or a touch to instantaneously and totally heal those who were sick or physically suffering and even raise the dead. This was given to the church for authenticating the apostolic message as the word of God. We don't see this going on today. Not this kind of healing. We see parlor tricks going on in so-called churches where this so-called gift of healing is, is exercised. Uh, they're they're uh, optical illusions uh, at best. Uh, they're the gift of, uh, they're the evidence of the power of suggestion. That's all that you see going on in the so-called miraculous healings. You don't see people who are totally healed. You don't see people who are uh, dead being raised to life. That's not happening today. Um, I mean, you just look at the people saying that they have the gift of healing and almost all of them are wearing glasses, right? And that might be a sign, right? That might be a clue of something that's going on. Uh, third, miracles. Miracles. Uh, a miracle is a supernatural intrusion into the natural world and its natural laws. It is an event explainable only by divine divine intervention. This is most commonly seen in events like casting out of demons. Uh, signs, wonders, and miracles are called the gift of a true apostle, again, in 2 Corinthians 12. 12. Uh, then we have the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy. This is where God gives revelation through a person, new truth. 
is not just the ability to tell the future, but it is new truth that is often associated with the future. In the gift of prophecy, in that revelation is from God, is authoritative, is perfect. That's what prophecy means. That's why uh, in the Old Testament you see false prophets stoned and killed. We don't have the same bar for so-called prophets today. They can prophesy something and then it just totally doesn't happen uh, and people just move along. Uh, that should, that, if, if they are truly prophets, they should be stoned and killed. Uh, but they're not prophets. They're not prophets. Uh, Fifth, the utterance of knowledge. This is the uh, capability of grasping the meaning, meaning of God's revelation and then to teach it to others in a supernatural way. Uh, this is tied to uh, the gift of prophecy. Uh, in 1 Corinthians First uh, Corinthians 13.2, is tied to the gift of prophecy. That's why we classify it under temporary gifts. As well as 1 Corinthians 13.8 is tied to the gift of prophecy. And it says in 1 Corinthians 13.8 that uh, this gift will be done away with when the perfect has come. Uh, six, utterance of Wisdom. This is a supernatural ability to instantaneously make skillful and practical uh, decisions that are wise. Uh, this is a divine enablement of God where someone uh, is, is supernaturally able to uh, make decisions that are perfect. And this was a temporary gift again. And it's tied again to prophecy uh, through 1 Corinthians 12, 8. And then lastly, we have the tongues and interpretation of tongues. Now, tongues, uh, again, was used to validate and spread revel the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the New Testament early church. Tongues were not uh, uh, random babblings or sounds. Tongues are languages. That's the Greek word for tongues. It's not uh, just a babbling of the tongue. It is an actual language. They were known languages of other ethnicities or nationalities, yet while being unknown to the one speaking them. So you wouldn't know this language and have no background of it, and, but suddenly and miraculously be able to speak it. And it would be an actual language that somebody else could understand. And likewise, interpretation was the, the divine enablement to interpret those tongues uh, to a known language. And uh, these tongues are not angelic tongues. People will go to 1 Corinthians 13.1 where it says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And people will go there and say, well, see, you can, there's obviously a language of uh, angels, and that's, that's the gift of tongues. That's why there's these babblings going on. Um, but the verse 
the verse uh, where that's found in 1 Corinthians 13.1 is in the middle of hyperbole. It's, it's in the middle of these extreme statements that are not reality. Uh, he says, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels. Uh, and then verse 2, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries, if I know all knowledge, if I have all faith as, so as to remove mountains, if I give all my possessions away. He, he's speaking in hyperbole, in, in, in uh, hypothetical extreme language. He's not saying, even though I have the gift of the tongues of angels. He's not saying that. He's saying, if I were to be able to, which even in the wording itself tells us he wasn't able to. He's speaking in possibilities. Right. Yeah, the context of, of that passage is, is, is love. That he's, not talk, he's not teaching on the gift of speaking the tongues of angels. He's, he's making a point, another point, uh, towards love, the importance of love in the church. Good point, brother. So, uh, we want to look at permanent gifts. Permanent gifts. Again, there's two main classifications to permanent gifts uh, from 1 Peter 4, verse 10 and, 10 and 11. Uh, he's talking about receiving a gift, right? Employing it in, to serving one another as, a man, as sewers of the manifold grace of God. And he uses two main classifications. Whoever speaks as one speaking the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one serving by the strength which God supplies. So those are the two main uh, Classification of gifts. Now, I want to go through these. There are... Uh, how many do you have in front of you? Eleven? All right, we'll, we'll, we'll try. Uh, the gift of the evangelist. I think that's pretty straightforward. The gift of evangelism. This is, of course, a spirit-gifted ability to share the gospel with the non-believer and lead them to Christ and even to equip other believers towards effective evangelism. This is someone who is able to effectively explain and exhort and apply the gospel to the unsaved. Uh, then there's a gift of exhortation or exhorting. This is, uh, the, of course, a spirit-gifted ability to motivate, to motivate and to encourage, to counsel others towards spiritual growth and in the context of ministry. This is the ability to effectively incite practical holiness in heart and action. Uh, and, and this is done uh, through encouragement, through comfort, through admonishment, through entreaty. That's the that's the breadth of this word, parakaleo, to exhort or encourage or comfort or admonish or entreat. Uh, then we have the, the gift of faith. The gift of faith. This is uh, the, of course, the in, we all have faith, right? We're all called to grow in faith. But somebody that has a special gifting of faith has an intense ability 
to trust God, especially in difficult and demanding ways. And so the, 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 the other side of the coin here is that uh, you will know that you have the gift of, this gift of faith by going through intense trial. So you might be wondering, why am I going through some in super intense trial that it seems nobody else is going through? Well, uh, well, one, because God is able to uphold you and he wants to show his glory, but, but maybe also is because you have, have a gifting of faith where you, God has enabled you in a special way to endure trials. This is the ability to trust him in the face of overwhelming obstacle and human impossibility. This is uncommon assurance that God will accomplish his purposes. It's an uncommon kind of faith. Uh, next is uh, the gift of giving. I think that's pretty straightforward. It's the spirit, divine enablement to give extraordinary financial and material assistance towards God's work and towards God's people. This is someone who generously, joyfully, and sacrificially gives earthly possessions to the Lord, doesn't think twice about it, but finds great joy in doing that, even. Fifth, the gift of helping or serving. You might be able to take these apart and make them two separate gifts, or they might be overlapping. Uh, we'll treat them as somewhat overlapping. Uh, when it comes to helping, this is the gift of personal assistance. The ability to give aid to others who need a hand in a way that encourages and strengthens them. This requires the one with this gift uh, to be willing and able to sacrificially and submissively help meet other Christians' needs. And uh, the, the serving side of this is, is practical assistance. Practical assistance. This is the spirit-gifted ability to serve in the area of physical tasks, usually, is where we see this. Physical tasks, where you find great joy in just getting work done and, 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 and um, you know, putting hand to shovel or hand to plow, as it were, and just being part of the work and, and physically getting things done. Six is the gift of leading or administration. When it comes to leading, uh, this is the ability given by the Spirit, so a special ability to organize and plan out church programs or efforts, ministries. This is the ability to govern Christians towards some biblical good goal. Uh, if administration were to be a, another aspect of this, administration uh, on its own would be the ability to mobilize, to direct and carry out ministries and projects. So leading has a more overall governing aspect. Administration has more um, you know, practical and personal uh, mobilization, uh, organization uh, aspect to it. Seven is a gift of mercy. The gift of mercy. This is the ability to display extraordinary compassion. 
especially towards the sick or the lowly, the overlooked. There's a compassion that is just unlike others in the church. This is the ability of someone who can cheerfully detect and even empathize with and then go on to assist those who are in need. And that need can be physical, emotional, or spiritual. The gift of mercy. Uh, The gift of preaching. Uh, This, of course, um, some would say that this is a gift, um, and it's connected to the gift of prophecy, but this is non-revelatory prophecy. It's forth-telling, not foretelling. This is the divine enablement to declare and proclaim the Scriptures effectively, clearly and effectively. Uh, Teaching is connected with that. This is the spirit-gifted ability to study and then communicate and explain the Word of God. And it's the ability to do this in an understandable and edifying way. You're able to interpret, explain, and apply the Scriptures. The emphasis is on that this is done with great clarity. Great clarity. Number 10 I'm not expecting you to write all this down, but just to kind of listen and go back and listen to the recording if you really want to get the details. And by the way, a lot of this uh, comes from uh, it comes from uh, John MacArthur, uh, it comes from other systematic uh, works, it comes from uh, uh, my old pastor, C. Uh, Fernandez at, my, at CBC. Uh, spiritual discernment, number 10. Spiritual discernment, this is found in 1 Corinthians twelve ten. This is the divine enablement to identify forms of doctrinal error or deceptive false teaching. 1 John 4, 1 says, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So this is an obligation and responsibility of every uh, Christian, but some believers... Uh, and they may or may not be pastors, um, but some believers are given a uh, divine enablement uh, to do this effectively. This is the ability to identify false teaching by comparing it to biblical truth. Uh, like, like, a, like a bloodhound just sniffs this stuff out, right? It just comes naturally to you. Um, and then lastly, the shepherd teacher, the pastor teacher. This is a spirit-gifted ability to lead, care for, and mature the people of God by teaching and by example. It is the ability to lead and provide and feed and protect and otherwise just care for the sheep, the flock of God. Uh, You don't see there uh, what... uh, someone would look for in a CEO. This is a very serving kind of gift, isn't it? Uh, And so uh, this is a special gifting that is given to shepherd teachers. Uh, It's for the good of the church. Now, as we close, uh, if you're not sure what your gift is, I want you to help, I want to help you have some uh, some grids or a structure to understand your gift. Now, your mission in life is not to understand your gift. Your mission in life is to exalt Christ by making disciples. 
to serve the Lord, to worship Him. That's your mission in life. If you gain more clarity on what your gift is, that will become easier and more efficient. And you'll find more joy in it. Because it'll be more focused in how you do that. So three basic questions to, to think about, and we're gonna, these are going to be the points here in, under this third point. But three questions that we, you need to think about is, is what do you, what, what, how does love move you? That is, where are your desires or burdens? And then, and then, and then also, where do you see fruit? And, and what does the body say around you? So let's take apart those three questions. First of all, a burden of love. Now again, in 1 Corinthians 12, after Paul had already been talking about all these various gifts, right? Uh, Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healing, tongues, and so on. He, He ends this section with, and I will yet show you a more excellent way. In verse 31, the next verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the chapter of love. And what's striking is chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians goes back to the topic of gifts. So chapter 13, the chapter of love in the context of a local church, is not you know some random side note that he wants to talk about love. It is actually a major part of the utilization of spiritual gifts in a local church. I would say, I would argue that it is the heart of you using your spiritual gift in the local church is the doctrine of love. And so you need to think about, as I am filled with a love for Christ and a love for his people, when I am thinking along those terms, and, and I understand that that's not, you're not always here with your love for Christ or for the church, right? You're not always on cloud nine with him. But when you are uh, communing with God and when you are uh, being filled with a love for Christ and a love for the church, those are the times to, to think towards and, and ask yourself, what comes most natural, naturally to me? What am I, where does my mind go? So if, if I am communing with Christ and, and, and I am loving the church, I'm loving my, my Savior, and uh, I, I see on our Facebook group page that somebody is in some sort of financial need or material need, where does my mind go? Where does my heart go? Does it go towards me? I need to send them a verse or I need to make a call or I need to physically go visit them or I need to sacrificially give for them or I need to spend an hour in prayer for them. Where does my heart go towards how I can minister to that person? And just, you can supply any situation. What comes most naturally and freely from my heart that is, in, that is in love with Christ and is filled with love for my brother or sister in Christ? Where does that, where does that burden go towards? That's going to help you 
understand what your gift is. So if your first inclination, like mine, is I want to send that person, I want to find a good verse that will minister to the heart of that person and administer the truth of God, that's what they need to set their mind on in the midst of this trial. And I want to help them understand this and, and uh, encourage them to believe upon the truth of that verse, then that's why that's my burden, is because my gifting is towards teaching and pastoral ministry and towards preaching. That's where my mind goes and my heart goes. My mind and heart doesn't naturally and automatically and first go towards, I need to drive there and be with that person, or I need to drive there and, and bring groceries. That's why you're here, <laughs> because that's probably, maybe that's your, your burden. I, I need you to do that, right? So you see how we all need each other, and we all have gifting that can be specially used in the church? So think about what's your burden of love. Secondly, think about fruitful effects, as you're serving, and you should all be serving, if you're a Christian, you must serve out of obedience for Christ, but also out of love for Christ and out of worship towards God. A Christian who is not serving uh, is not going to be a happy or fulfilled Christian. It's impossible. But if you are serving, and if you are being used, praise the Lord for that but you're not sure what your gifting is, just keep serving. Just keep saying yes to the Lord as he gives you opportunities to serve, whatever it might be. Maybe it's a little bit out of your comfort zone, but give those things a shot. Maybe you're gifted towards evangelism, but you're terrified. And you don't, but you'll never know that you're gifted towards evangelism unless you try, Right? Unless you just tag along with, with our evangelism team and just watch and allow your heart to be filled with a love for the lost and, and let the Spirit just uh, enable you, divinely enable you to give the gospel clearly. You'll never know that you have that gift if you don't go, right? So push out of your comfort zone. But then as you're serving, look for where you seem to be able to maximize effect without necessarily a maximum effort. Now, what I'm not saying is, you know, if you find your gifting, then you can just kind of coast and take it easy. No, that's not the point. It's just what comes easiest to you, what feels like it's just, this is just, this just comes easy, you know, I can stay up till four in the morning studying and preparing a sermon. I've done that, and it comes easy, right? But for you, that may be near impossible, and that's fine. Uh, for you, it, it just you have no problem going up to the random person and sharing the gospel. For me, that's terrifying, <laughs> but I must do it, right? But but that's but that's your gifting, right? What comes easiest, most natural to you? Um, and, and as you're serving, where do you see in those aspects of your ministry, and there's all different kinds of aspects, where do you see the most effect? 
right? Where do you see, man, that just took off? Or there was just real, that, that just went really well. Or uh, there was an impact there in that person's life. Uh, and, and ministry leaders, be looking out for that in those that are serving. You want, that's why you're there, is to help them figure out where their gifting is and, and utilize them most effectively. Uh, and that goes along with, uh, you can jot down 1 Corinthians 12, verse 6 and 7. Notice uh, in verse 6, there are a variety of workings but the same God. So this is in the context of the gifts, right? Spirit gives gifts. Christ places you in ministry. The Father gives the effect, the working. And so there's obviously effects of our ministry as we employ our gifts. God will show that as you serve. And then lastly, in the confirmation of the church. So spiritual gifts are most are used most effectively in a local church. And when it's done this way, sooner or later, other people around you will recognize and comment on your spiritual giftedness, hopefully. And again, leaders, uh, we lean on you and we, and we look to you for you know, looking out for these giftings. The church will see where you're most effective, where you find most joy, where it just, there's an obvious gifting. And, uh, and there will be a confirmation of those giftings. As, as you kind of think, oh, I think it might be this, or it might be that, or it might be a blend of these two things, or whatever else it might be. And then you'll hear somebody say, man, you know, one thing I appreciate about you is you're so encouraging to me. When I need encouragement, I call you. Right? Well, there you go. There's the confirmation that you probably have the gift of encouragement. First uh, Timothy 4, verse 14 and 15. We'll close with this. The exhortation is, do not neglect, neglect the gift within you. And for Timothy, this was given to you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. That's not us today, right? But... Uh, he says, don't neglect that gift. Whatever the gift is for you, we can take this principle, whatever that gift is that is within you, don't neglect it. Rather, take pains, right? Serve hard. Serve zealously. Serve till you're tired even. My goodness. Be absorbed in them. Why? So that your progress will be evident to all. So progress, effectiveness, Spiritual growth and usefulness in ministry will be evident to those around you as you take pains in employing your gifts. So, what's the, what's the concluding thought? Serve. That, that, if you take anything away, just serve. John Calvin says, let us remember that we ought to apply to use the gifts of God lest being unemployed and concealed they gather rust. Let us also remember that we should diligently profit by them, lest they be extinguished by our slothfulness. Christian, don't let your spiritual gift rust. Use it in the ministry of the church, and may you find great joy as you do so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your wisdom, and thank you for gifting us these things through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for 
just wanting to use us in any way. Thank you for the honor it is to serve you, O Jesus, our King. O Lord, may we be faithful to employ these gifts as stewards of the manifold grace of God. May we steward these gifts well. And as we do so, may we shine forth the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. May we shine forth the worthiness of Christ and his excellencies and his glory. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.